Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. My name is Mike Perry. I'm one of your co-hosts. And as always, I'm here with my good friend, Brett Jones. Brett, how are you today? Fabulous, Mike. Uh, looking forward to getting into today's podcast and uh, sipping coffee. I'm doing the same. Absolutely. So today, we're going to be talking about the realities of working with clients. And really, the title of today's podcast, you guys are going to be blown away by this. It's called everybody's got something. It took us weeks to figure out a title. But honestly, the reality Focus is- Focus groups, research. It was, we worked hard on that one. You will see PubMed articles within a year. Um, so when you're training anyone, whether it's you know starting off and you're doing something at home or at a local gym, or if you're in a collegiate setting or a professional setting in a clinic, people are going to have stuff. And what I mean by stuff is they're going to have old injuries. They're going to have aches and pains. They're going to have maybe recent injuries. They're going to have uh, a little bit of a little bit of baggage and a little bit of mileage and, and not in a bad way, but listen, the reality is, is people are going to come into your gym and they're going to have a bad shoulder, a grumpy knee, a grumpy low back, et cetera. And if you can't manage those things, you're not going to be as successful as you could be because listen, the reality is, is you got to know the basics of injury management and exercise selection. I'm not saying you have to be uh, a corrective exercise guru and do some voodoo magic and, um, you know, try to be this person that heals everybody, but you have to be able to make quality decisions so you can have a successful outcome with your clients. And that's just simply the reality of working with, uh, working with personal, uh, working with clients rather as a personal trainer or as a strength and conditioning coach. So um, my background is very different than Brett's. Brett has a background of, you know, exercise, phys, ATC. I'm just a meathead that uh, eventually learned how to train people. But I, I want to start off with a quick story because um, I, I think this is going to set us in the right direction. So when I started coaching, I was that guy that um, took everybody through the same warm-up. And I got this warm-up from, from uh, Mark Verstegen's book. I believe it was called Core Performance. And he had a dynamic warm-up in there. And it was, it was pretty good, right? You did tiptoe walks, heel walks, you knee hugs, quad pulls, your lunge series, some T-spine work, and it was pretty good. So I just took everybody through that because I did not know anything about movement screening, evaluating, et cetera. So anyways, I take someone through this whole progression and did the tiptoe walks, did the heel walks, everything, you name it. We get to the quad pulls, which if you're not familiar, it's basically like a standing quad stretch. And I'm asking this uh, gentleman to do it and he goes to reach his quad and he just, he does like, he contorts his body and, and kind of moves sideways because he can't get to it. And I'm like, hmm. So I was like, just keep trying because that's a logical approach to trying to fix things. And uh, so he, he just can't do it. So we're like, ah, we'll skip it. So then we go into our lunges and he, uh, he takes a big stride forward. And he's like, ah, oh, man, I feel a big pull, like a burning on the front of my leg. I'm like, all right, we'll just, we'll just keep going. <laughs> it's normal. 
And then he takes another step and I, I hear a popping sound. And I was like, and he goes down. I was like, Ugh. I was like, you good? He's like, yeah, I just felt the pop in like my quad. I was like, yeah, we should probably roll that and go to the bike <laughs> because that's all I knew. Um, and, and listen, the moral of the story is if I had taken the time to learn about his injury history and actually run him through an evaluation, whether it's a movement screen or some other musculoskeletal assessment, I could have not been in that situation. And it was absolutely a learning lesson for me because, you know, I was a young coach and someone got injured on my watch during the warm up. That's not good. And that's not good for business, for client retention, nothing. So the reality is, is you have to take your time to understand what your client brings to the table, because if you don't, quad poles and injuries are going to happen. And, and that's easily, uh, that's a scenario that can be easily um, managed if you just know what you're doing. And uh, I have several stories like that because um, I learned the hard way, but um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where people are coming in and they're going to come in with that knee issue. And what do you do? What do you do with someone with a low back issue? What do you do with someone that is currently in pain? We're going to talk about scope of practice in a little bit, but you need to know how to navigate those waters because that's the difference between a successful outcome and maybe a not so successful outcome. Definitely. So a couple of different directions here. And uh, in addition to the scope of practice conversation at the end, we'll talk about group exercise at the end because there's, there's some realities there. Uh, if you do run group exercise classes and things of that nature. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody's got something. Uh, it, it amazes me um, just how many people are walking around uh, with dealing with chronic situations. So my job as a, our jobs as fitness professionals, uh, number one, take a history sit down, talk to the person that you're going to train, get a detailed history. Uh, famous physical therapist and educator Florence Kendall coined the term, the mystery of the history. And boy, nothing truer uh, has been said. And, you know, I have a, I have my favorite mystery of the history story that I always, I always tell when I teach I was, workshops. I was hoping you were going this way. And if you weren't, I was going to say, Brett, you need to tell the story. So I'm, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm just going to sit back and smirk and drink my coffee. So I had a client that um, was cleared by his doctor to exercise, but had a history of chronic low back pain. And so for about six months, every session, I would ask him, have you ever hurt your back? Have you ever hurt your back? Have you ever hurt your back? And he would answer no every time. And finally, after about six months, he goes, I said, have you ever hurt your back? He goes, no. Well, there was this one time we were uh, in Africa uh, doing a vacation and we go into a village and they're looking for volunteers for an ostrich race. And my wife said, don't you dare. So I immediately went down and volunteered. And I don't know if you've ever seen an ostrich, but they're really big animals. So they walk this guy up the stepladder, they set him on the ostrich, and then they take the blinders off of the ostrich. And now you have to picture your best Wiley e. Coyote Acme rocket moment where pew, there goes the ostrich and down falls this individual onto his butt. 
and has like four compression fractures in his lumbar spine. They basically tape him to a spine board and FedEx him back to Pittsburgh uh, to, to be taken care of. Uh, and he forgot this injury. He got hurt in an ostrich race. <laughs> and he forgot that that happened. So understand that the person you're getting ready to work with who says, no, I've never been injured. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's accurate. Um, so mystery of the history, keep that in mind and be, be a good detective. I hate to say it, but you got to be a good detective. You need to ask the same question two to three times in different ways in order to get information. And sometimes it's just triggering the, the memory. I had my appendix out. That was 2000 or 2001. I actually don't remember which year, um, but I know I had my appendix out. I'm short in Oregon. Um, so it's not most of the time. It's not purposeful. The person's not trying to deceive you. They forgot. I, I wish I had a list of the things I've forgotten, but I can't because I forgot them. So, you know, be, but be a good detective. Go joint by joint. Go body part by body part. Talk about what did you do in high school? What did you play sports? You know, what, what are your favorite activities? You know, have you ever been in a, had a surgery, a fracture, a car accident? Have you ever had any elective procedures? Because in some people's minds, elective procedures do not equal surgeries. So have a really good system for diving into the history because the history gives you lots of clues as to where to go uh, with that individual. And then, of course, for you and I, Mike, we're going to back that up with a movement screen. We're going to go ahead and, and look at this snapshot of movement in time. And it's amazing how many times you go through a movement screen and you find a locked up ankle or you find a shoulder mobility that's not quite uh, up to snuff. You're like, ah, you know, we need to work on this. Oh, yeah, I, I used to sprain my ankle a lot in high school. Or I stepped off the curb and man, five years ago, I, I stepped off the curb and I, I really sprained my ankle. Like it was really bad. Well, it's still with you. So we need to look at that. So uh, trust but verify is the famous, uh, I believe it's Russian uh, saying, uh, but trust but verify. Like trust what they've told you in the history, but verify. Look at how they're moving. Yeah, it's and and I can't I can tell you endless stories uh, like this. It's not nearly as good as your story, but um, <laughs> I mean, I, I had one. Uh, gosh, probably ten years ago. I'll just uh, tell a quick one. Uh, ind individual uh, retired firefighter, um, and uh, he's coming. He's like, my back's been bothering me, and and again, asking him all these questions. And then like two weeks into it, I was like, man, are you sure nothing happened with your with your back? And he's like, oh yeah. I remember I was walking across the street and I got hit by a car. <laughs> it's like, you, how did you not remember that? But I mean, again, that's a very, um, you know, over the top story, but again, these things happen. I had another client not too long ago that was referred to me from a PT and, you know, helping them manage some running mechanics and some shin splints. And I was asking them questions and I'm like, you sure this, you know, are you sure there aren't any other injuries that I should know about? Like, oh yeah, I had a tibia fracture like three years ago. Okay, that's that's great information to know. So um, having that conversation is going to do two things. Yes, it's going to give you vital information, 
on their injury history, their medical history, things that they want to share with you, but also you're taking the time to get in, to get to know them. You're developing that rapport. And a lot of people don't even take the time to sit down and get to know someone. And that interaction is, is you're going to build trust. And if someone trusts you, they're more apt to stay with you. If they don't trust you, they're, they're going to take off. I mean, can you imagine if you just, someone came in and you just started doing a bunch of jump squats and burpees and you didn't have any uh, information on them whatsoever? It's, it's simply not good. So you need to take that time. And, and again, you don't have to sit there and, you know, have a, a checklist that's a hundred points and trying to nail down everything, but I do the same thing. All right. So feet and ankles, good knees. Like, again, I kind of go through the big stuff. Um, then I also ask them, are there any exercises that you know are not good for you? Are if you have exercised in the past and, and if you did have an injury, what were you doing? Are, are there certain positions or postures that you know is not good for you? And a lot of the times, yes, we can confirm that during the movement screen and, and during the evaluation. But again, just taking the time to learn about their habits, because the habits are going to give you just as much information as the screen. And that's, that's just really good information to have when you start designing a program. So um, the, the big question is, is that what do you do? How do you design a program when someone comes in with baggage? And, and that's really the starting point. Well, and Coach Boyle has a great um, line. Um, it doesn't hurt. And, you know, we always ask that question. I think that's a pretty common question across the world and across the field. Does that hurt? And if the answer is anything but no, it's a yes. So if you ask somebody, hey, did that, did that hurt? And they go, well, that's a yes. Until <laughs> proven otherwise, that's a yes. Um, if they cannot definitively go, no, no, that didn't hurt. That, that, you know, and part of being a good detective, watch the face. Mm -hmm. people are going to reveal uh, because understand the person you're, you're getting ready to work with uh, there. There is an aspect of them wanting to succeed. There's an aspect of them wanting to, and I'm going to use the term, please you as the coach. Uh, they want to impress you. They want to please you. They want to accomplish what you're asking them to do. Typically they're not going to want to admit, Oh yeah, that, that hurt. Uh, that, that, that wasn't good because they feel like they're failing. So the first thing to get off the table with people that you work with is number one, you got to give me the info. There's alternatives. This isn't the only exercise that was ever made. Like if, if this one doesn't work, we got others. It's kind of like my Groucho Marx joke. Uh, Groucho Marx joked, uh, these are my principles. If you don't like them, I have others. <laughs> so these are my exercises. If they don't work for you, I have others like yeah. we can make this work. So that communication system, that back and forth and really being open and honest right from the start that uh, there's there's no it's just information. And this exercise may not work for you. So get really good at opening that communication system early on to your point. Shockingly, people and this is one of the oldest sayings, people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And having that good initial conversation and setting up that uh, really that little bit of trust in that beginning that you will build over time will pay dividends. So as you begin, and this is where after we movement screen and maybe we've got a couple of things that we need to clean up, 
I having some sort of standardized warm up or movement prep that gives you an idea of how that person moves, you know, checks in on some different things. Also, at this time, you're checking in on that part of that communication system is understanding that language. If you say do something with your right arm and they do it with the left, do it with your right leg, they do it with the left, like you already know, okay, when I coach this individual, we're going to have to really, I need to find right and left ain't working. So I need to find a different way to phrase this. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, I, I think that, that the communication piece here cannot be overstated. Before we even start talking about exercise selection and, and, and how you're going to manage different things, that communication piece is just so key. And, and it may feel like I'm beating the dead horse and, and you know, uh, just overstating it, but I don't think I am. Uh, because if you don't establish that communication piece, when you do run into something that needs to be changed down the road, you're not going to have the communication set to make that happen. So if you've got that communication set and you start into some exercise, when somebody comes in and says, I have a history of X, my shoulder, my back, my knee, my whatever, I am going to start with a very small program. I'm going to start with a very limited list of things. Because if I launch into 15 different things and you tell me after the fact that was a problem, which of the 15 things did it? If I start with three things, I got a much shorter list to filter and the likely suspect can be identified way quicker because there's, there's two different conversations with these, uh, with these situations. There's in-session immediate feedback. Whoop. Yep, that's a bad one. Okay, cool. We've got an alternative. Then it's the it's the next session report from how they felt from the first session. And that's just as important, if not more so, that, oh, yeah, I felt great in the session. But, oh, oh, man, the next day, my knee was, oh, you know, I was back on the Advil and, you know, icing my knee and, you know, oh, that, that, that was a problem. Okay, well, now, which of the 20 things you did with them? was the problem. You're much better off to start with a very limited number of exercises and be open with the person you're working with. Hey, we're starting with this many things because I can figure out which one was a problem if it causes a problem. If it doesn't, we'll grow the list. But we're going to take this in a very stepwise fashion. Absolutely. So we'll kind of We'll kind of go in a, a few different directions here. So let's say you have one client that comes in and that client, they, I know, right. They move well and they really don't have any, any issues. Right. And that does happen. You have some people like, you know what, I'm, I'm injury free. Um, I feel good. Um, you know, and my goals are to get stronger, uh, get more mobile and just, you know, maintain or, and, or improve my quality of life. Um, if they come in and they're, they're, they're doing a nice job and they're feeling pretty good. And then you start training them and all of a sudden the wheels start to come off, you need to check your coaching, queuing, and programming. Because if they came through your doors feeling pretty good, and all of a sudden they're feeling like crap, you're not doing your job. Because you actually just made them regress in a fashion, right? So you have to be very, very deliberate with the way that you, um, you, you, you choose your exercises, you choose your loading, your coaching, your queuing. And I always tell people, we're going to start small. And then we're going to add to it because yes, we'd love to have everybody start off with a five by five deadlift, but 
maybe that's just going to smoke them or maybe it's just not even appropriate. Maybe, maybe two by five is a really good starting place to see how they do. And then maybe next week we can go three by five. And then every, you know, every week we can add something to it. So start small and work incrementally. And like Brett said, if you, if you give them a thousand different things, you never know what's going to work. So I, I honestly think that a, a nice way to look at your own programming is to see what's going on with your clients. If they came in and they're doing well, and all of a sudden they're not, hmm, maybe something's going on. Now, don't get me wrong. Things happen. Tweaks, twinges, you name it. I wish we could just say those things do not happen, but you're going to have those clients that every once in a while something happens or, you know, they did a training session over the weekend, something went down and boom, all of a sudden. I'm going to, I'm going to break in here, Mike, because you you just made me think of something and it's, it's the, there are times where somebody comes in to your point, they're moving well, they don't have any problems and they're trucking along, but they're operating either subconsciously or consciously they're operating at a baseline that is within their buffer zone, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, I think we can all grab hold of the concept of the buffer zone. If, if you drive a car and you look at your RPMs, red line is 6,000, you're cruising on the highway at 2,000, you got a 4,000 RPM buffer zone. That's awesome. Now take that buffer zone and put it at 3,000. Now you're cruising on the highway at 2,000. Not a lot of buffer zone. If you push that car a little bit, you're going to redline. So they're operating within their buffer zone. Well, the purpose of training and maybe the focus of your program is to push them beyond at the most uncomfortable place to be is the comfort zone, right? So freaking (laughs) memes and stuff on the internet. Uh, So you're going to push them beyond what they were doing, right? Well, in doing that, you might exceed their buffer zone. And that's when you reveal something that they probably subconsciously have managed for a long period of time because they were never asking for that much more out of their body. They weren't going beyond their buffer zone. I had a kid at one point uh, who was a baseball, uh, he was a pitcher, and a college scout made the recommendation that he open his stride and uh, take his step in a little bit more aggressive direction. Well, unfortunately, that little bit larger step revealed a structural anomaly in his hip that put him on crutches for about two months because the way he started pitching, he started banging into his labrum and his uh, hip synovium, and he ended up with a really angry hip for about two months. And he had kind of naturally shortened his stride to the ranges that he could control And so we need to be cognizant of the idea that sometimes that person that's coming in, who's doing great and they're in their buffer zone and we're getting ready to push them outside their buffer zone. We need to be aware of that. And so the old saying is make haste slowly. And to Mike's point, maybe it's two by five, three by five, four by five over a series of four to six weeks where Mm -hmm. you're just building that tolerance and Tiptoeing in, I tell all my people, we get started, we're tiptoeing. Mm-hmm. I trust but verify. I, I know you're at X, but we're going to start going for Q. I don't know what's happening in between X and Q. So we need to take our time. Absolutely. And and those incremental steps are, are very, very important because also not only, yes, like you mentioned, we are, we are putting uh, someone 
we want to stress them to get an adaptation and we want a positive adaptation. Um, but when you are working with people, you can have the best eval, the best assessment, the best program in the world, but training is an art and a science and understanding how to pick load exercise selection. It, it really is. It's a guessing game and, and you're not guessing blindly, but you have this, you have a certain amount of information, but you don't know what they're capable of from a loading standpoint, how much delayed onset muscle soreness they're going to have, et cetera. So could they potentially manage a heavy five by five? Yeah, but they may have so much delayed onset muscle soreness that now they're not walking for a week. And do you think they're going to want to come back if they've, this is their first session at the gym, you murder them. And then they come back and maybe they're not injured, but maybe they're so damn sore. It's literally ruining the quality of their life. I've seen it happen. I mean, I've seen people do like the craziest things and I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. When I was a young coach, I programmed a lot of dumb things as well. Um, but it's, it's that incremental loading. It's just that step-by-step -step process. And then once you understand what your client is capable of, and every client is going to have a different, um, I say we're creating your own owner's manual. That's how I describe it to my clients is, listen, we're trying to figure out what works for you um, from a loading standpoint, um, what doesn't. So I have a client, for example, um, she, uh, she's in her 60s. She deadlifts 135 pound kettlebells. She's strong. Um, but we know that at a certain point, if we program, and this is, I'm going to tell you, this is from trial and error. If we program heavy deadlifts and swings on the same day, she does not do well. It, it starts to piss her back off. So what do we do? One day we do heavy deadlifts. The other day we do swings, problem solved. But there's no way I would have known that unless we, we sort of bumped into that. And I'm not saying you go in and you blindly just murder people with volume, but there is going to be, um, there is going to be scenarios where you have to make those changes on the fly. And I can't tell you how many times I've made the perfect program and three weeks later, it's completely different because it just didn't work out. And that's okay. And, and I'll be honest, almost everybody that I train their initial, their initial program that I write, I mean, you should see their worksheets. It's, you know, it's notes, it's pencil, it's scribble. It's, I mean, it's, it's not the prettiest looking thing. It's not this beautiful spreadsheet that everybody loves, but what that does is it allows me to understand what they are capable of and what works for them. And then we just make the changes. And then once you understand what they need, then that's when you start to get into a groove. And they also understand how to self-manage because that's super important as well. So I, I think just getting to know people, obviously from a personal level, but from a movement, from a loading, from a rest and recovery standpoint is super important as well. Well, and it's, it's that question at the beginning of the session. How are you doing? Like that's, that's where the session starts. How you doing? And the communication system that needs to be set in there. And, and I, I actually had a really funny interaction with one of my clients who ended up being just, it took me a, a few sessions to crack the ice on this guy, but he ended up being just hilarious, just a great guy. Uh, but I like walk up and I'm like, Hey, how you doing? Why do you always ask me how I'm doing? I'm like, <laughs> a, not a jerk. B, <laughs> depending on what you've got going on, I might change our session. If you're short on sleep, if you just were almost in a car accident or got yelled at by your boss or a pet has passed, or you've got some sort of life stress or relationship stress, and I don't need to know all the details, but if you walk in and say, dude, I am stressed, I'm picking a different session. We're, we're going to start in a little bit different way. And that's part of that communication system. 
And those those notes and those caveats and those you know what ifs and and um, adjustments. Uh, the T-shirt that I need to get made is uh, change, adapt, overcome. Uh, there's there's I'm I'm all about sayings and cliches, and there's there's two of them that uh, that that apply here. And from a military standpoint, there's an old saying that no plan survives contact with the enemy. And yes, you are the enemy. <laughs> so you you have to be you, the plan that we develop is not going to sustain first contact. First contact is going to change what we're doing, but we have to at least have a plan to get started. And then Mike Tyson's famous, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that because you're going to bump into things. You're going to push somebody a little bit out their buffer zone. You're going to reveal things potentially that you didn't know about. Uh, and that's two different conversations, right? If you keep bumping into a known known, you're just not smart. <laughs> you're just you're just not changing, adapting, and overcoming, right? You just keep bumping into the same problem going, I don't get it. When you bump into the unknown unknown, now we're having a little bit different conversation, but in both of those circumstances, change adapt overcome. There's not one path, there's many paths. And so we haven't, and people that were chiming in, you know, hopping on this podcast going, oh, Mike and Brett are going to tell me how to put programs together for people. Well, yeah, but no, because <laughs> I don't know who you're talking to. I don't know what this person's history is. And, and, you know, I'm on forums and I'm on social media and people ask questions and I, I see people wanting advice for a variety of things. And I'm like, I do not know enough about you to give you advice. I can give you this really general blueprint, but no plan survives contact with the enemy and we got to change, adapt and overcome. And so, you know, all of this stuff sounds like platitudes and generalities, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm not going to argue against that too much, but I don't know you. I, I, I don't know what your history is. I don't know what your medical history is. I don't know what your lifestyle is. If you drink, you know, a couple of two liters of pop a day, eat McDonald's twice a day, uh, sleep four hours a night, work two jobs and have a bad relationship. I'm not so concerned about your exercise program. <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff. There's way lower hanging fruit that we could deal with. Yeah. And context is key and you need as much information as you can to make the best decisions. It's the same. It would be like someone coming in and being like, Hey, um, you know, I want to, uh, my goal is to gain weight, high school athlete. And you're like, all right, so I want you to eat three peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and drink some milk with that. What if they're allergic to peanut butter and they have a dairy sensitivity? Now you've got someone that's in the hospital and they've got a really bad stomach. So you know what I'm saying? You have to understand the context and you have to be able to make changes on the fly because that is the reality of it. Last week, we had a big snowstorm. One of my clients that when, when he first came to me, had a lot of back stuff and he's been doing great in the clear deadlifting, doing pretty much everything. He shoveled. He came in. I'm like, how are you doing? He goes, man, I'm like, we're throwing today out the window and we're going to spend the session trying to, you know, I, I call it a setup day. I said, today's session is setting you up for your next session. Because we're not, we're not going with the same game plan today. We're going to go and we're going to spend some extra time on some mobility. We're going to do maybe some more soft tissue. And we're going to give you some movements that are going to get you moving a little bit better. So when you leave here, you're feeling better. And so tomorrow, we can start to gradually move our way back to our regular program. And it doesn't mean you do a, re, you know, like a recharge or a reset session. And then the next day, you dive right back in. 
maybe it's two, three, four days until you get back to your normal baseline. And that's just the reality of it. And that's why you need to be able to, like you said, change, adapt, and overcome. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple stuff, but Brett, let's talk about, um, let's talk about working with clients because, and I know you get this too, um, that are referred from physical therapists. Um, how do you approach that? Uh, step one, communication. Actually communicate with the physical therapist, with that healthcare provider that has made that referral and see what their recommendations are. What, what are they keying in on and what are they okay with you doing? And what do they definitively want you to avoid? Um, that that's again, shockingly enough, communication comes up as the the, the first piece of the puzzle. Uh, so once you know the game plan and the indications and contraindications from that healthcare provider, filter that through your process. You know, I'm still going to take a good history. I'm still going to go through all of my normal procedures and get a movement screen done avoiding those things that hurt potentially. Um, Cause I, I think this is one of the misinterpretations with movement screening and things like that. I never said you had to be pain-free to train. I said, we're not gonna train things that cause pain. Those are two different conversations. So by the time I get through that process, um, you know, it's um, making sure that that communication system's in place with that individual and uh, proceed with caution. You know, that, that person's already coming in with a known situation. You don't want to make that situation worse. So tiptoe, take your time, communicate with the, the professional. Hey, you know, thanks for sending um, Grandma Susie, um, Executive Jane. And, you know, they, uh, I know you're working with them with their shoulder, but uh, man, some pretty locked up ankles. I'm going to be focusing on the ankles and, and the leg raise was a little off. So, you know, we're going to go after some, some midsection stability and, and improving that leg raise. You do your thing on the shoulder. I, I've got stuff that I, you know, I think is going to, going to help. And, and we're going to, you know, the tag team works really well. Uh, what you don't want to do is to be that person that says, Oh, not, we're going to, we're going to go after that shoulder and we're going to do X, Y, Z and Q. And it's like, well, they go back to their, to their uh, physical therapist, healthcare provider. And they're like, I'm hurting. How's that going to go for you? Yeah, not well. So again, communication, standardized process. Don't train things that hurt. Absolutely. And, um, you know, when it comes to the pain talk, obviously you want to stay in your lane. Um, you know, if someone comes into your facility and they are uh, in pain, um, we need to know why because there's a bazillion different reasons why pain could be present. Um, and we've had, a, uh, you know, a bunch of talks on this as well, but um, understanding, you know, why they're in pain. Um, and it could be, you know, I've got this old shoulder. All right, cool. Have you gotten it checked out? It's just simple conversations because you don't want to make it worse. You want to know exactly what's going on. Um, and there are some times where I'll do a screen and they'll be like, oh man, that kind of hurt. And I'll be like, Hey, you know, go see my buddy quick, just quick check-in just he's a PT, then go from there. Um, one thing I will say, though, if you are working with um, clients, if you're a trainer, patients, if you're a clinician, um, you know, make sure that you understand HIPAA and, and, and make sure that there's a form signed, whether it's a, an actual form or uh, verbal consent, etc. Because again, that's, you're crossing kind of a line that is really out of scope from if you're a personal trainer or strength coach, 
and from a clinical standpoint. So there are, you know, basic laws <laughs> um, to make sure that uh, you're, you're doing things and, and being a professional. So just make sure you do that. I always tell people, hey, listen, you're probably going to have to talk to your physical therapist um, to, to sort of get clearance so we can speak back and forth and, and communicate about what's going on with you because, um, you know, it's, it's in the medical world. So that's something that if you haven't, um, you know, worked and interacted with clinicians and, and shared clients, um, don't forget about that because, uh, you know, it's super important and um, it's law. So it's, you, you know, breaking the law in general uh, is not the best thing to do. So be avoided. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend that. So what I'm going to drop the big hammer on, on scope of practice, as far as personal trainers are concerned, uh, you are not a healer. You are not a, you do not know what a physical therapist knows. Uh, you do not know what an occupational therapist knows or, you know, whoever, whatever healthcare provider we're talking about. Um, and if that be willing to make the referrals, I think that's one of my most frustrating things within the fitness world is people are just unwilling to make referrals. They try to handle it all themselves. Well, there's a variety of things that'll give you back pain. Uh, some of those are cancer. Are you really good enough? at differential diagnosis to where you're sure it's a tight hip flexor. And let's be honest, the poor psoas gets blamed for everything. Holy crap. Let's give the psoas a break and realize there's other things that could be at play here. So you're, like I said, unless you're Dr. House MD and you're just really good at differential diagnosis, you need to work within the system. Don't make blind referrals. Like Mike said, hey, we found something on the screen. Go see my buddy. Go see physical therapist Julie, who is really good at looking at shoulders and backs and, and can let us know how we need to address this. A blind referral, because what's usually happening for that healthcare provider, and this is why you know, we've all read the articles, orthopedic surgeon X says, never do push-ups. Because push-ups are the devil and they ruin everybody's shoulders. Well, what's happened to that orthopedic? That orthopedic's last 50 shoulder patients came in and said, hey, doc, I was doing some push-ups at home and now my shoulder hurts. Well, obviously push-ups are bad. The same conversation is happening in reference to the personal trainers in the fitness field. Uh, what happened with your back? Uh, my, my, my personal trainer had me deadlifting. Now two things have happened. Personal trainers are bad, deadlifts are bad <laughs> because 10 patients are going to come through that orthopedics door over the next few weeks that are going to say the same thing. What they're dying for, what the physical therapists, what the orthopedics, what the, the medical professionals, healthcare professionals are dying for is a personal trainer or fitness professional who will say, I think you should get that checked. And beyond that, they communicate, hey, physical therapist, Julie. My name is personal trainer Q and I have a client, grandma Betty, who has some back pain. Could you take a look at that? Let me know indications, contraindications, uh, best way to proceed, uh, you know, communicate. Shockingly, that doesn't happen a lot. And, and most doctors, physical therapists, healthcare providers are shocked when there's actual communication. But be willing to make those referrals because 
I, I am a trained clinician. I, I am an ATC. I make referrals. <laughs> I, I send people to go get checked because I don't want to miss something. And, and that's, you know, better uh, the, the saying in the legal profession, which we need to do better at, is better a thousand guilty go free than one innocent, you know, be persecuted. Uh, we fail with that. <laughs> but the, 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 the mindset is, is worthwhile. Um, I would rather lose 10 clients than miss one that had something serious that needed to be addressed. Absolutely. And, you know, here, here's the, the reality too, is there are some really good personal trainers and strength coaches out there that understand movement and that can help you. But if you don't understand where the pain is coming from and actually know what is going on, it's your, it's the blind leading the blind and it's not good. So listen, I mean, I've been doing this for a while. I'd like to think I'm pretty good with helping people with their shoulders and hips, et cetera, but I can't help those individuals from an exercise standpoint. If I don't know their history and why, like you said, low back, what causes low back pain, what causes shoulder pain? There's so many different things. Now, once I understand what's going on, then I can do what I do which is trying to get people to move better, feel better and perform better. And, 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 and don't hear what we're not saying. We're not saying that personal trainers can't help people with corrective exercise and doing drills that are therapeutic. That's not what we're saying. It's that you do not diagnose and you do not say, this is why you're in pain. That's, that's the reality of the situation. So, and I can tell you countless stories where I've been fortunate enough to work with people and I've helped them with stuff and Brett with the same thing. But again, we're not just helping them and just saying, oh, your back pain, I'll just, let's do these drills. It's, we know what's going on. And whether it's through, you know, conversations with clinicians or, you know, whether it's data from MRIs or whatever, um, that's another conversation we can get into on another podcast. But again, we need to know what's going on. So then we can make better decisions and then we can help our client. And then, yes, then you can maybe be that trainer that helped fix a shoulder or helped fix a low back. But listen, you need to know your scope of practice beforehand. If someone comes into you with low back pain and they don't know what the hell's going on, go see a clinician, go see a doctor, do whatever you need to do. And then you can slowly start that process. And hopefully you do that with the assistance of a good clinician. And especially one last thing before we kind of change gears is if they're currently in pain and you don't know, don't, I, I recommend not working with them. And that's going to sound pretty like, whoa, what are you talking about? But I mean, again, if they're like in pain, 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 it's going to change the way that they move anyway. It's going to change their function. There's going to be compensatory movements and that's not their norm. So there's no way in hell you're going to try to fix someone or help them with their back when they can't even bend over because when they do, they get a shooting pain throughout their entire body. And if you think doing, you know, some breathing and a couple, you know, glute activation drills is going to fix that. It's not the case. So, you know, you have to get them out of pain. And I, there's been times where I've said, listen, you need to deal with this. This is a pain. If, if you're in pain, this is this should be dealt with by a clinician. And I can't help you until, not to say that you're out of pain, but there's there's a level of that, right? And if you're in excruciating pain, you, you don't need to be with me. But if you've got a little twinge and tweak, maybe we can help. But again, we need to know. We need to start at a point where you're not sitting there bending over and going, oh, and that hurts. Like, that's not good. You're not going to make any progress with your individual if they if they can't move or if they're in a lot of pain. So that's just another sort of side side talk or side conversation about. Uh, and 
client. And one more scary story. Uh, this is from years ago, but uh, this individual got referred to a, a trainer uh, and they had been in physical therapy for three months and aggressively pursuing treatment for this spasm kind of under their shoulder blade. And uh, the guy that, that I knew worked at him, worked, looked at him and said, you know what? It's just not right. Just something's off. Go back to your doctor. Uh, emergency surgery that day for an aortic aneurysm. Wow. So are you sure it's a muscle spasm? Are you sure it's a tight psoas? Like I said, if you're not really good at differential diagnosis, I just don't play in those waters. There's mm -hmm. people with way larger liability policies who are trained to, to swim in those waters. Work with them, not against them. Um, and, and in the end, it's the best thing for the person that you're working with. And that uh, is the goal, uh, actually, for people to have a, a positive experience. Because one of the, the biggest reasons people quit exercising doesn't feel good. And that, that could be this amorphous, undefined, I just, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. It could be a sore shoulder, sore back, sore knee. Uh, but people, again, they hop in, their buffer zone is pretty small because they've been inactive or they have a history of an injury or, or a restriction or something of that nature. So their buffer zone is really small. What do they do? I'm going to crush it. I'm going to go start working out hard. They quickly exceed the buffer zone. Boom. Nothing feels right. Nothing feels good. Or they're, now they're at their doctor's office talking about, oh, my back, you know, my back's just killing me. Um, and, you know, you and I have both dealt with this. I've, I, I am not a garage kept single owner that was only driven to church. Uh, I have mileage. Now, most of that mileage is unrelated to exercise. Um, I've just been kind of, you know, I, I, I've had nine different surgeries. Um, very few of those are for anything that was related to anything exercise related. Um, I was a wrestler in high school. I broke my nose more than a few times and uh, had to have a septoplasty. I uh, had to have my appendix removed. I had an inguinal hernia. Uh, for guys, inguinal hernias are like, you know, that area where the testes dropped through just didn't seal back up quite right. So, boom, you get a hernia later in life. I mean, you know, uh, what what am I now? Two different cancers. Um, you know, I've had a. <laughs> I'm not I just. I, I'm not. La I. We know each other well. I'm not laughing at you. It's just like, but you say it's so nonchalant. It's like. Okay. Yeah, two different cancers that that's yeah. two different surgeries that that, yeah. that happened so you know i've, I've had a, I've had a lot of stuff go on in my life and i, I have stuff that i manage uh but i i manage pretty well and um you know and, and we'll do another podcast where we talk more specifically about pain what it is what it isn't the new understandings of it because i think that's a very worthwhile conversation um but specific to this scope of practice and where I wanted to go earlier with group exercise, um, there are fitness professionals out there who uh, work within the group X field. Uh, fantastic. Uh, it's been super popular because there's a social aspect and there's support and people love group exercise. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, there's three different situations there. There's the situation where you're pre-qualified. You sign up for this group exercise gym. They bring you in. They take the history, the paperwork, movement screen, 
take a look at what you should and shouldn't be doing. And then with that knowledge, they put you into the appropriate class. That is really the ideal situation. The other situation is where you at least have a consistent group of people showing up to the same class, and now you can coach them and guide them over time. You can kind of slowly screen them as they come in consistently for these classes, and you develop that relationship. The third, and I hate to say it, probably most common situation is you don't know who's walking through the door. You just get 10 people in front of you. Two of them have been taking class consistently for three years. One, three of them are brand new. They just figured they'd give it a try. And you know the others are kind of in the middle. They've taken one or two classes, maybe from three or four different instructors. And now you have this mishmash of people in the room in front of you. And this is where a consistent warm-up can succeed because it's revealing as to what people can and can't do. Um, and that guides you in as far as exercise selection. And the two things that I tell everybody in any group situation is number one, if I ask you to do something that is a bad idea for you, please don't do it. And then I look for some sort of recognition, head <laughs> nod, a yes, some sort of acknowledgement that they've heard that. And number two, if it hurts, don't do it. And you don't get to decide that. Like if it, if you feel anything, <laughs> I need to know so that, okay, if we're doing lunges and you feel a stretch, okay, you know, maybe you just haven't, because there's a difference between feeling that stretch in the rear leg and feeling that pull in the front leg. Like, is it sharp? Is it tingly? Is it burning? Is it, uh, is it a pinch? Is it like, there's, there's all kinds of different things that we're going to look for. So if I ask you to do something that's a bad idea, don't do it. If it hurts, don't do it. If we can both agree and work with that, that simple system, we can start to have some success and avoid those problems. Yeah. And, and I think with group X, cause it, you know, at our gym, we, we have a, a, an adult group training program and um, we, we won't let anyone join unless we run them through an evaluation at first. And listen, when you're, when you're in a group exercise program, you're not going to be able to, if someone isn't moving well, you're and you're not going to be able to do a bunch of correctives with them. You're just not right. You don't have the time, but here's what you can do. You can determine what exercises or what patterns take priority. And then you can give them advice on what they should and shouldn't do currently. And I always tell them, Hey, listen, here's the reason why we want to do the evaluation. We want to see what you're currently capable of. So when it comes to prescribing exercise, we want to make sure we're giving you things that we know that you can do safely and effectively. So there are some people, let's say you're doing a forward lunge, forward lunge, you, know, you can't decelerate, bothers your knee. Maybe you do a reverse lunge. It's still a very similar pattern, right? So it, again, it's, it's, it's just taking that information and being able to, to quickly in the class move, uh, you know, change things on the fly, but also just saying, listen, don't do this for now. I'm not saying you can't do this forever, but don't do this for now. And, and, and oftentimes with really good programming and good coaching and cueing, a lot of things will start to clean up a little bit. And then yeah, maybe down the road, you can do, go to that forward lunge or um, maybe your knee's bothering you and you were squatting. So maybe instead of squatting on that day, which is a knee dominant exercise, you say, you know what? We're going to hinge or we're going to deadlift. I mean, so we're going to hinge or we're going to bridge or something along the lines of that. And I always tell people in class when I'm running, hey, listen, if something's bothering you and uh, you need a, a different exercise, please come find me and I will gladly provide you with something that is going to be appropriate for you. And, and it let all of our coaches do this. 
And people are so appreciative of it because it's just, you're not, you're not trying to force them into something. So um, again, we could talk about, you know, group, group action, how to design stuff um, for days. And we could probably do another entire podcast, but. Well, I want to capitalize on something you just said there, because you said uh, people are very appreciative of not being forced into things. They're also very appreciative of not being restricted from things Mm -hmm. because now the conversation is not, Oh, nope. You sit to the side for the next five minutes. I'm going to focus on the rest of the class. You go, you go sit to the side for five minutes because you can't do this. Yeah. Nobody likes that. Right. Yeah. We start getting, you know, the, the nightmare uh, memories from uh, junior high phys ed when you were set to the side and, you know, embarrassed and in front of everybody start to come back to the, the, the forefront, having your progressions and regressions. Uh, I've taught plenty of group X classes. I have had 70 year old grandmothers deadlifting uh, and happy to be a part of the class standing next to a 24 year old surfer. That's, uh, doing two arm swings with the beast. And they're both in the same class and they're both having a great time and they're both supporting each other mm-hmm. and nobody felt excluded. So having your progressions and regressions in place, uh, it, it accomplishes what you said, as far as not forcing them into things, but it also, uh, protects them from being excluded which from a group exercise perspective is, is hugely important. If I'm working with somebody individually, I have no problem saying, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You, you need to rest for a minute and we're going to pick another exercise in that group X setting. You don't want to force them into things, but you don't want to exclude them either. Having those progressions and regressions laid out, uh, really, uh, very successful strategy. Absolutely. So I think really the moral of the story here is, is, is yes, we're talking about exercise, but communication, it's so important. And, and not only in, in, um, in, in fitness, but in life, right. Having the ability to communicate is, is a, a vital skill. Um, and, and having, having those conversations. And if you really care, you're going to ask the questions, you're going to see how they're doing. You're going to follow up. Right. And um, you know, it's, you can be the most talented clinician or talented personal trainer in the world. Um, but if you can't communicate well, and people don't want to spend time with you, um, it, it doesn't make a difference whatsoever. So, um, understand that taking the time to, to really learn about someone and, and being honest, like if you are passionate about fitness, um, you should want to learn about someone and what makes them tick and, and what's going to make them excited or motivated. I mean, those things are, are a vital part of, of, uh, of training and exercise and being a successful, I don't care if you're a coach, if you're a clinician, um, if you are a muscular therapist, it doesn't matter. It's the communication um, and understanding what is going to be hopefully the best path. And I'm not saying the exact path, I'm saying the best direction, because as long as we're headed in the right direction, we're doing all right. And we can make changes um, um, as we go. But, um, you know, I think we'll end it with the old quote from, um, I believe it was Alice in Wonderland. Um, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Or Yogi Berra. <laughs> Whatever works. Uh, it, it's definitely, and it, it's, um, I think people, if, if you think about the buffer zone, if you establish your communication, if you're willing to make those progressions, regressions, um, everything comes together and respect your scope of practice. Um, and, and like I said, if you keep bumping into known knowns, God, do something different. 
Yeah. If you find an unknown unknown, change, adapt, overcome, you know, do what you need to in that situation. Um, but it's playing the long game. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to say it again, because this is the drum that I am going to beat for a long time. It is termed health and fitness for a reason. And if you are in pain, and if you are constantly trying to figure out how to work around something, you have a health problem, not a fitness problem. And you need to get that dialed in because fitness should be a vehicle for better health. Absolutely. And I think we are going to cut it right there. So Brett, as always, it's, it's good to, uh, it's good to chat. Um, for those of you listening, um, regardless of what platform you are on, if you could do us a favor, uh, write us a positive review if you liked it. And if you didn't like it, uh, just don't worry about it. Um, but honestly, uh, if, if you find that you've had some friends, colleagues, coworkers, et cetera, that would find this interesting, do us a favor, go ahead and share that podcast. And uh, we appreciate you uh, joining in and we'll see you on the next episode. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're gonna ask you for a favor please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.